0: You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. This morning, we talked to the Environmental Protection Agency about a growing problem of unregistered chemicals being imported into our country and into the islands. The EPA this past week ordered Hui Restoration, a company that began operating in March, to stop using two products, Instapure and Everpure, because they're not registered. We talked to Amy Miller out of the San Francisco Region 9 office. She's the director of the Enforcement and Compliance Division of EPA.
1: When the pandemic started, I was very concerned that we would begin to see a proliferation of disinfectant products because obviously everybody wants to tackle this. And EPA regulates disinfectants. Funny enough, they're regulated under uh, the pesticide law. The federal pesticide law requires products that kill, mitigate, destroy a pest, including bacteria, viruses, and so forth, have to be registered with EPA. And what registration means is we make sure that the products that make public health claims are efficacious, that they're, they have clear label directions, and that the, the actual chemical involved doesn't unreasonably impact human health or the environment. And so we, we, we became concerned when the pandemic starts that we would begin to see um, an uptick in illegal products, and in fact, we have, and we've been monitoring both the internet as well as news articles, and, and we've seen an, a, a tremendous amount of up, uptick of illegal products. And in fact, in the case of hui restoration, we saw a new a local news report in Honolulu discussing this product that could be used and provide ninety days protection. And so it. It concerned us, and so we followed up with an inspection of the facility to find out exactly what they were using and whether or not it was registered with EPA. And it was not? It was not registered. And so because it was not registered, we did issue a stop-sell requiring, and, and what a stop-sell does is, is basically tells the company to stop selling it and to provide us with an inventory. So the product that HUI um, has is a a, a two-product procedure, and they have a product called Instapure and EverPure that they use together that they claim will provide you this 90-day protection. So we have ordered them to stop selling it. So it's a
0: false claim, and the concern is maybe people were being charged for this service that really wasn't killing the coronavirus.
1: That's correct. EPA is very concerned that it, it's really important that that people use products that are registered. And in fact, EPA has a list called List in that lists out uh, roughly 400 products that are effective against coronavirus. And so this product has not been registered, and we uh, it's really critical that we stop the sale of it.
0: Now, there was a report that said some of this was used for the Department of Public Safety, and I'm still waiting to hear back from them. But I think there is some concern in the community that if this was used in the prisons or any of its facilities that it may not have worked, you know. And the other question is, well, what was in this product, and, you know, is it harmful to the inmates?
1: When we became aware of this product, we immediately talked about this with the Hawaii Attorney General and let them know our concerns as we were conducting our investigation because we were aware that it was being used in a public setting. And so, you know, that's the thing. With with an unregistered product, we really do not know what is in it. And more importantly, the label directions for, you know, the use, you know, could, could potentially cause somebody use it in in a way that that could the chemical itself could possibly harm the user
0: right if it wasn't diluted well enough or uh, exactly applied in a certain manner Yes. and have you been in contact with the Department of Public
1: Safety at all yes we we have had discussions but we've been mainly talking to the Hawaii Attorney General's office
0: well I think there is concern because there is a current outbreak at the Oahu Community Correctional Center and you know, some might think that, gosh, they thought they were doing the right thing and maybe it wasn't doing any good.
1: And that's why it's important that people make sure that, that they are using registered products, uh, registered with EPA. And it's really, you know, so I I mentioned that we have this list called List N, but we also, you know, a real easy way to know whether or not a product is registered with EPA is it has what we call an EPA registration number so it will have on the packaging it will say EPA reg and it will have a number Um, and so look look for those but the list in is the the definitive list of those products that are effective against coronavirus and
0: how widespread is this problem of folks using disinfectants that uh, you know really aren't registered to do what they claim they do
1: it is very widespread. Um, Just to give you a sense, we've been very busy at at EPA. Um, One of the things we do is we um, routinely monitor with Customs Border Patrol um, import shipments, so products that are coming into the United States. And with Customs, we've denied entry to 6.8 million illegal products from coming into the United States. In Honolulu, uh, at the port there, we've Um, uh, denied entry to 4,929, 25 shipments. A majority of these are sanitation cards, disinfectant wipes. In fact, the first shipment we denied during the pandemic happened in Honolulu on March 2nd. So we've been quite busy on the import side. We've been busy monitoring the Internet. EPA has issued stop sales. To eBay and to Amazon we've also issued in our from our San Francisco office we've issued 24 advisory letters to internet marketplaces we know that people are doing a lot of purchases on the internet and so we want to make sure that these marketplaces are aware that they're selling illegal products and to stop selling them where are the
0: products coming into Honolulu where are they from are they from Asia yes China
1: a vast majority of the products are coming from China, but it's not exclusively China. I, I would just say there's just so many products coming in right now through importation, whether it's from cargo containers or, you know, from FedEx envelopes. You know, there there's a lot that Customs Border Patrol and ETA are doing to, to monitor and make sure that illegal products are not coming in. Okay. And then what happens to these products once you seize them? A lot of them are seized and destroyed some are returned returned to sender Uh, it it, it really depends
0: interesting okay and so as far as uh, advice to the general public you know if there are these companies that are out there uh, you know advertising a a service to kill uh, coronaviruses what should they do to kind of safeguard their uh, their homes or their businesses
1: so number one buy products that are are on EPA's list In those products are effective against coronavirus. Step number two is to make sure that you follow the label directions. The label directions do provide the correct way in which to use the product so that it's efficacious, meaning that it will destroy the virus. And so often with many disinfectants, it takes 10 minutes for the disinfectant to actually work, to, to, to kill. And most people aren't aware of that, and it's, and it's an important step.
0: That was Amy Miller, Director of the Enforcement and Compliance Division of the EPA Office in San Francisco.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from telepets, offering online veterinary care, featuring teleadvice and tele triage with a Hawaii veterinarian. More about virtual visits at telapets.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. W. Keith Campbell. I'm author of The New Science of Narcissism. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the psychological personality and social research on the topic of narcissism.
4: Starting Sunday morning at 11.
0: This is the conversation on statewide, member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Time now to quiz you with Hawaii's music history. <laughs> When you hear the name Mike Love, you may think of the singer, songwriter, and founder of the Beach Boys. But Mike Love is also the name of a local artist who was born and raised on Oahu. Heavily influenced by his family, he learned from an early age to appreciate the power of music. He remembers his father crafting folk songs on guitar and his grandfather composing gospel on the piano. Love learned to play the guitar thanks to his sister and father, and it became his main instrument for writing and playing. Throughout his teenage years, he played in multiple bands, playing his first live gig at the age of 16. Fans may also remember him in reggae bands, Melodious Solutions, and Dub Conscious. Mike Love's sound blends a wide range of influences, including progressive, classic rock, pop r&b soul blues and so much more for today's quiz can you tell us the name of the label that released mike love's debut album the change i'm seeking call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right
3: A life is a moment, a blink
5: of an eye, if you don't grab it, it passes you by, I
3: never could quite understand why, I'm just glad.
2: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii. Updated property listings, including virtual tours and a mobile app, at locationshawaii.com.
0: Fake email drama swirled in the days leading up to a decision by the Public Utilities Commission over the fate of a Big Island biomass plant. Honua Ola, also known as Hu Honua. The PUC denied the company's request for reconsideration in the case and its bid to uh, begin operating. Henry Curtis of Life of the Land challenged the Hamakua project. We spoke with him this morning.
3: Life of the Land is very pleased with the decision by the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission. It was a very thorough and detailed analysis, and it covered all of the major points. We had several objections to this. One that it would raise costs for ratepayers. Two, it was not competitive with other renewables coming online. Three, it would emit huge amounts of toxics into the air, some of which were greenhouse gases, but there were many other toxics that would be emitted. Four, it would dump a lot of pollutants into the ocean. Five, it would damage forests at a time that we need to save trees to fight off climate change. And six, repeatedly, Hu Honua refused to answer the most basic questions about their operations.
0: Now, the company invested millions in that project, and from where it sits, it's a matter of jobs at this point.
3: Well, first of all, they invested some of it during their first power purchase agreement. And then when that fell through, they filed a massive antitrust lawsuit against HECO, Um, HELCO, Hamakua Energy Partners, NextEra Energy, in federal court. And Chief Justice uh, Seepright from the Honolulu District said, hey, look, guys, you failed to meet your own contractual deadlines. It's your own fault, and you can't be blaming others for that. So a lot of their investment came from that period. Second, The deal they signed with Helco said that they had plenty of opportunity to build the facility after they got their permits. The fact that they went ahead and spent money before getting their final permit, they took the risk on that. It would be like a homeowner building a house before getting a permit to build it and then claiming since it's built already, the state owes them the right to keep it
0: with this decision, the Public Utilities Commission has upheld the order. The company, you know, still can appeal, uh, but you know, leading up to this decision there was a lot of drama surrounding fake emails that came through the docket. Talk about that. Yes.
3: Apparently Who Ho Knew set up a mechanism on their website whereby they encouraged massive people to send in an email that simply say, from this email, stick it on a form letter and send it to the commission expressing your upsetness about the way the commission has done things. Now, Hu Honua basically did not supervise or oversee the the operation at all. They were simply trying to generate as many emails as possible, and they sent in about 2000 form letters to the PUC it turns out that seven of them when the PUC responded and sent emails to each of those people saying thank you for your comments here's where you can learn more seven emails were received back to the PUC saying we never sent them for some absolutely crazy reason Hu Honua decided to claim that I had sent those and they listed um, IP addresses that are uh, for all Verizon customers statewide, so zillions of, of possible people who might have sent it in. And they said, no, it's not anybody else. It's just Henry and Life of the Land. And their analysis was faulty beyond belief. We hope we have the opportunity to really nail them for this blatant defamation of character. We consulted three internet security experts, very high level, very sophisticated people, who looked over what Huho knew submitted and said there is absolutely no way they could have come to the conclusions they did.
0: So you maintain you're unfairly accused of generating those fake emails
3: that's correct yes
0: now the PUC um, in its decision didn't deal with that issue
3: they mentioned it towards the very end of the decision that there are a lot of people who were sending in comments and I think they noted it in a footnote at the very end of the decision but that's not really the place to decide it this is a separate complaint that who ho has filed And interestingly enough, Warren Lee, in sending the letter of complaint into the PUC, violated the PUC's own rules on how you file a complaint.
0: How should he have done it?
3: They should have had a certificate of service, which explained who they were sending it to. And he didn't include that.
0: Okay. Was that that more of a technicality?
3: Yes. Okay. Uh, Yes, it's technical.
0: Okay all right but but it it just seems like the P.U. says we're not going to deal with this they noted it but essentially well, said, not
3: dealing with it in this proceeding
0: right so what's your plan at this point
3: well I think who has a major problem because if they appeal it to the Supreme Court they have to explain to the Supreme Court why the Supreme Court doesn't understand its own decision Um. Hu Honua is challenging a simple, plain, easy-to-understand reading of the Supreme Court decision. The Supreme Court in its decision said that life of the land is appealing on three separate issues. And the court said, we are only going to be ruling on two of them. And the Supreme Court said, we're upholding life of the land on both of them. And Hu Honua turned around and said, no, there was only one issue greenhouse gases. So Hu Honua is challenging the Supreme Court on their own order.
0: That was Executive Director of Life of the Land Henry Curtis reacting to a PUC decision on the eucalyptus biomass plant. Uh, Hu Honua issued a statement on the PUC decision saying, We are disappointed in the PUC decision killing a badly needed firm renewable project on Hawaii Island. Uh, The order disregards due process and disrespects the 64 workers whose jobs are threatened during this unprecedented economic crisis. It added, we are shocked and disappointed the PUC made this decision without conducting an investigation of the fraudulent letters submitted to discredit the overwhelming number of comments in support of the project. We find it reprehensible that the commission would abdicate its responsibility for thoroughly investigating this matter and suppressing the voices of thousands of supporters of this project in favor of a hasty ruling, end quote. The company is not saying what its next step will be. It is now time for our reality check. Honolulu Civil Beats' Eleni Evendano joins us today for a look at where the Department of Health is spending our CARES money. Good morning.
6: Good morning. Aloha.
0: So now, last I talked to you it was Eleni Gill. <laughs> you have a name change. Yes.
6: I have a new byline. I did get married. Well, congratulations. But, name, name Eleni. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so Thank tell you. us about your story. You were tracking uh, where
0: all this money is going.
6: Yeah, so for um, about two weeks um, or more, I've been asking the Department of Health for more information about where they're uh, spending their federal grant award money, Um, and over the Labor Day weekend, I did receive more information from them, Um, and this in conjunction with new data published by the Hawaii Data Collaborative shows that the department has spent less than one percent and obligated less than eight percent of its largest uh, 57 million dollar federal award um, and it's part of a program across the nation that's intended to help states with coronavirus testing and contact tracing and um, protecting high-risk populations and so it was a little bit surprising to see um so few dollars spent so far but you know in talking with uh health department leaders they did discuss about some bureaucratic hurdles and also the way the national pandemic is affecting our ability to um, get, you know, testing machines and other sorts of supplies and equipment. Um, and so there, there have been some holdups and hurdles in that sense. So there's red tape, um, mm-hmm.
0: but we've got to spend this money, right? There's a deadline.
6: Yeah, so this, this grant in particular does not have the uh, December deadline that is associated with other CARES Act funding. Mm, okay. The department does have... Um, two to four years to spend it. If it spends it all, theoretically, it could ask for more money. What was interesting is that the Department of Health um, did ask the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for um, $15 million for the next 12 months, and what they received was $57 million for um, two to four years. And so Jill Takuda, who's a former state legislator and she's a current advisor to the Hawaii Data Collaborative, she said she was um, concerned by the lack of movement on spending because usually you would want to utilize the funds that you have, um, and you know money staying in the bank. She said wouldn't necessarily give confidence to any lender. Um, but there there have been some some successes for the health department in terms of um, they use some of their funds to cover costs related with the University of Hawaii contact tracing program. Um, The State Laboratories Division is trying to meet a goal of being able to conduct 1,000 tests um, by the end of the year. Um, And so there's various goals outlined in a grant application I was able to secure from the Department of Health, and that's all available online um, in the story as well as a a more uh, thorough breakdown of what types of things they've been spending on so far.
0: Now, some of that money was supposed to go to the state labs.
6: Yeah, so the state laboratories actually get, um, they've received or been allotted about half of the federal grant award so far. Um, they, they've they been working overtime because they have not yet been able to hire staff who can uh, focus solely on COVID-19 testing. So folks who had other job obligations um, are working on top of their regular workload to do coronavirus testing. Um and they do have plans to hire new staff um, as well as at the Department of Health. They want to, um, you know, they want more microbiologists and they want other sort of specialized lab technicians. But it is harder to hire these days, um, especially during the pandemic.
0: Now, I know uh, Representative Scott Psyche, uh, he's been pretty critical of the department just about, you know, uh, how we fail to build our capacity early on. And now we're kind of in a dilemma, we are, uh, where we're at with the contact tracers. So I guess we're just going to have to see uh, if the DOH can actually increase that capacity and, and, and spend the money um, over the next, what, year and a half or so?
6: Yeah, yeah. The department has definitely faced a lot of criticism about its failure to scale up staffing um, over the past several months, especially when we've been seeing this latest surge. Um, but it's interesting to look at their grant application online. We, we do have some plans. It's just kind of unclear and still a bit vague about um, where they are in terms of meeting their own goals to, to spend this money.
0: All right. Well, another thing we'll have to track, but thanks so much, Eleni. Thank you. Take care. That was reporter Eleni Evandano. With today's Reality Check, to read her full story, visit Sybilbeat.org.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, committed to the community's health with a temporary museum closure and offering digital experiences at HonoluluMuseum.org. Foodland's Give Aloha program makes it easy to donate to your favorite charity and it matches your gift. Shop at any Foodland, Sack and Save, and Foodland Farm stores this month and designate Hawaii Public Radio at checkout. Your donation helps to sustain our statewide public service, and along with your groceries, you'll take home our big mahalo.
0: Today happens to be World Suicide Prevention Day. All this month, mental health advocates and organizations have been promoting suicide prevention awareness, Back in August, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released its biannual survey results on high school risk behavior. Comparing data from 2017 to 2019, more Hawai'i teens reported feeling sad or hopeless, and more said they planned or attempted suicide. While the August data has yet to be broken down by county, previous survey results show that Kauai has higher levels of uh, youth suicide than any other counties in the state. Alice Luck is the president and CEO of the Kauai Planning and Action Alliance. She spoke with the conversation's Jason Ubay, about what the community is doing to curb this alarming trend on the Garden Isle.
7: So the Kauai Resilience Project is one of our main initiatives and it was launched in April of 2019 in response to a very troubling statistics on youth suicide and youth suicide attempts on Kauai. These statistics come from the CDC's biannual survey, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which is done of middle school and high school students nationwide. The 2019 survey was recently released and uh, of high school students showed that compared to 2017, the number of students in high school that uh, showed symptoms of depression, which is defined as feeling sad or hopeless almost every day or two or more weeks in a row. The percentage of high school students that felt this way was 34.7 compared to about 30% in 2017. So that's gone up a bit. The number of high school students that reported seriously considering attempting suicide in the 12 months before the survey was 16% and it's also gone up a bit since 2017. The number who reported actually attempting suicide one or more times in the previous year was 10%. and has gone up actually half a percent since 2017. So these are the numbers that we find very uh, shocking and was, was the main impetus behind the launch of the Kauai Resilience Project the Kauai Resilience Project is a uh, countywide initiative that brings together public and private partners on a monthly basis to work collaboratively to uh, ameliorate this issue, to reduce the rate of youth suicides and suicide attempts uh, on Kauai. And our approach is prevention. Our approach is by building the critical resilience factors, developmental assets, and uh, developmental relationships in youth. We can help all youth to give them the life skills and the assets that they need in order to avoid mental health crisis in the future and to be able to weather life's challenges.
4: Can you tell me a bit more about what the, the program entails? What kind of services and programs are you providing
7: Well, it's a collective action initiative, and we come together on a monthly basis to uh, share information and, again, to work collaboratively around this issue and to try to leverage resources and collectively work towards our action plan. The Kauai Resilience Project Action Plan has four pillars. One is to increase protective factors in all of our youth. And we accomplished that through our Kauai's Kids Are Your Kids public education campaign and promoting our 10 tips to build youth resilience to is to increase the number of after-school opportunities for youth on island, which are so critical to enabling youth to explore areas outside of a school curriculum, and to build those developmental relationships with adults that are so critical to building resilience and a positive youth development. The third pillar is increasing the number of safe spaces in the community for youth, and the fourth pillar is to integrate some sort of social, emotional, or life skills curriculum into the schools. So we come together on a monthly basis as the KRP. We're about 30 partners at this point, which includes uh, Department of Education, Department of Health, various nonprofits, Native Hawaiian organizations, funders, and businesses. We come together monthly to work towards this action plan collectively.
4: How many years has this been in the works?
7: The Kauai Resilience Project was actually launched just last year, in the spring of last year. So it was in development for approximately a year before that, so it's still relatively new. And that's why um, our main push right now is to um, get our message out into the community in as many ways as possible and to make sure that all people on Kauai are aware of this initiative and aware of our 10 tips of how to build youth resilience.
4: With the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, everything's in change. A lot of social gatherings are out of the question, but it sounds like that is a key step to preventing youth suicide. And what are the challenges that this has created? And looking forward, how do you hope to implement these Um,
7: Yeah, COVID-19 has really created profound challenges in terms of our individual mental health, our emotional wellness. I think everybody is experiencing some level of um, distress, anxiety, depression right now. The CDC recently did a survey, nationwide survey of such issues and found that among the 18- to 24-year-old demographic, 75% reported at least one adverse mental or behavioral health symptom, such as anxiety and depression, trauma, or increased substance use in order to cope with those symptoms. So we're very concerned with the impact that the social distancing, the lack of opportunities for positive youth development outside of school, the stress that families are under. We're very concerned about the impact that this is having on mental health and family wellness and um, things like substance abuse rates and child abuse rates. Ironically, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Division reported fewer applications in April of 2020 relative to April of 2019. And the Department of Human Services, Child Welfare Services, reported a 33% decrease in child welfare services intakes between March 2020 and April 2020. So some of these agencies are experiencing a decrease in the access to their services due to the stay-at-home orders and other, other factors. Um, so there's really a push to make sure that those who need help are accessing help and able to get to get that help um, however um, it should also be noted that the crisis line has reported an increase in uses since March of 2020 the crisis text line for the state reported a 54% increase in the number of uh, texters between March and April of 2020 and anxiety and covid-19 were major reasons that uh, for this increase so people are accessing the crisis line uh, more. Uh, however, um, they're accessing other forms of supports. It seems to be that they're accessing those a bit less. We are very concerned. We had several suicides in May of this year on Kauai, which received some, some attention in the press. And uh, while COVID-19 was not the, re- the, the reason for these, um, certainly, it was um, an aggravating factor, likely, and um, and the lack of uh, economic opportunity, and the financial distress that many people are under, can really can really aggravate um, whatever else is underlying uh, in terms of mental health issues and symptoms. So, we're really um, encouraging everyone who feels that they need help, to reach out for help. Unfortunately, there's still quite a stigma surrounding mental health.
4: For our listeners, how can they help?
7: On Kauai, if the issue is with uh, a child or an adolescent, they can reach out to the Kauai Family Guidance Center Child and Adolescent Mental Health Program at 808-274-3883. Uh, If the issue is uh, one of domestic violence and sexual assault, they can reach out to the YWCA. Their domestic violence hotline is 808-245-6362, their sexual assault crisis hotline is 808-241-4144. Again, uh, we mentioned the crisis line of Hawaii, which is now available 24 hours a day, seven days a week you can reach that by calling 1-800-753-6879 or text ALOHA to 741741. Also, I would like to mention the Trevor Project is a great resource for LGBTQ youth who need support. That population experiences disproportionately high rates of suicide and also uh, risk-taking behaviors the Trevor Project can be reached also 24/7 at 1-866-488-7386 or text start to 678-678. They also have a chat line which is available through their website, thetrevorproject.org. Is
4: there anything else that you wanted to add?
7: Yeah, I encourage those who are interested in learning more about the Kauai Resilience Project. To visit our website, kawaii'skidsareyourkids.org. You can also get there by visiting keiki2career.org. Okay. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook at keiki2career.
0: That was Alice Luck of the Kauai Planning and Action Alliance talking about the Kauai Intervention Project, which aims to prevent youth suicides. Uh, we will have all those numbers she mentioned in the links on our website at hawaiipublicradio.org.
2: Port for Hawaii Public Radio comes from UH Manoa's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for ages 50 and older, with virtual courses designed to engage the mind and enrich lives. Virtual open house this Sunday. More by searching Osher Hawaii. Next time on The World, the Confucius Institutes.
3: China bankrolls these educational programs on U.S. college campuses, but the State Department has been encouraging universities to shut them down. Critics call that authoritarian.
4: They're letting the American government interfere in the curriculum. So they become Chinese themselves in the way they're running the universities.
3: The Confucius Institute's on the world.
4: Starting this afternoon at 1.
0: In this morning's Backyard Quiz, we take a look at a local musician, Mike Love, who was born and raised on Oahu. He spent years crafting a unique reggae sound that blends a wide range of influences and genres. Throughout his career, Mike Love has performed with a diverse array of artists, such as Stephen Marley, the John Butler Trio, Groundation, Steel Pulse, Dave Matthews, and Jack Johnson. Uh, Music fan Jay Perry shared this online review pure musical genius. Just love the way he dubs over his music. He is also a true wordsmith. His debut solo album, The Change I'm Seeking, was released back in 2012, and it was on the label Love Not War Records. And we had no winners today for that question. That is today's quiz. Write to us at TalkBack at HawaiiPublicRadio.org if you have an idea that you would like to share.
5: Money comes and money goes, but in this life, all I know is you ain't got nothing if you ain't got love. Money comes and money goes, but in this life.
0: this week we've been looking at all things Ulu. Today we feature the Ulu Cooperative on the Big Island which has hooied up to marshal the power of Ulu. Here's what you might hear as workers chop up the fruit to freeze for market or to make Ulu flour. sounds of ulu we talked to the cooperative's dana shapiro about the efforts over the last several years to put ulu front and center
5: the co-op was founded in summer of 2016 so we are just about exactly four years old and we came together originally as nine farms from all over the big island we were all growing ulu Some of us had mature trees and others had just planted trees, but we came together around a common love for ulu and belief that ulu has a really important role to play in Hawaii's food system. And we recognized that we could do a lot more to help build the industry by working together than we'd ever be able to accomplish individually, and that was really the basis for forming the co-op.
0: So you have frozen breadfruit you also have Mm -hmm. ulu flour
5: we do we are just starting to scale our ulu flour production we've been making it for a couple of years a few of our co-op members were actually making ulu flour on their own before they joined the co-op and one of them gave us her mill and showed us how she made it and we kind of took over production for her but on a very small scale And last summer, we received an Atherton Foundation grant in partnership with Voyaging Foods and the Hawaii Farmers Union Foundation. And that enabled us to buy a larger dehydrator and mill. So this season, we're planning to commit about 15% of our overall volumes toward flour, which is a lot more than we've ever done in the past.
0: So how much flour does that produce?
5: We're estimating about 3,500 pounds, which is from about 18,000 pounds of fresh fruit. And so where can our
0: listeners purchase this flour or frozen ulu?
5: The frozen ulu is pretty widely available now. It's at about 25 different store locations all around the state and on every island. You can find it on Oahu at all the down-to-earth locations, at Kokua Market, through Farmland Kauai. And through a number of the community food distribution programs that are happening, Aloha Harvest, Chef Hui, Kupu, they have all brought the frozen ulu in for their constituents, their customers. The flower is not yet widely available. Ulu season is just starting. For us, it typically begins in July. So until we get more fruit in, it's not going to be that widely available. But we actually do have an ulu flower survey that's a Google form. And it's available through our social media and also on Voyaging Foods' website. And if you're interested, fill out the survey and make sure you include your email address, and you'll receive updates about the ulu flower when it becomes available.
0: I'm just intrigued that you've been able to network with, you know, the breadfruit farmers.
5: I think that there's a lot of farmers that are really passionate about ulu, And they recognize that the co-op provides very valuable services that enable them to focus on farming and help them to maintain their farms and become more profitable. And so I think it just makes sense. We have a couple members on Maui that buoy up and ship fruit to us. We have brought fruit over from Oahu as well. So it is possible for other islands to join the co-op. It doesn't really make sense to ship fruit until you can fill up a pallet, which is about a 1,000 pounds. So again, if there are smaller or backyard farmers with excess fruit, they could potentially hui up to meet those volumes. But on Oahu in particular, there's much, much more of a market for fresh ulu than there is on the Big Island. There's a number of processors on Oahu that do buy fruit. Ulu mana is one. High five ulu is another. And so if there are growers with fruit on Oahu, They, I think, have a much larger market on their island that they could potentially tap than some of our outer island farmers do.
0: So share with our listeners, like, what a typical day would be for you, you know, on your Ulu farm.
5: For those of us working in the co-op, we are not on the farm that much on a day-to-day basis because we're handling aggregation, processing, storage, distribution, and marketing. For our Ulu growers, they are pretty much all highly diversified. So outside of ulu season when they're harvesting they're probably not 100% focused on their ulu trees they're managing very diversified farm operations which gives them more even production throughout the year and higher net revenues per acreage that they have to work with and so that's great and we highly support diversification for us in the co-op we have also diversified our operations because ulu is a seasonal crop so We actually handle sweet potato, calo, kabocha squash, banana papaya. This summer, we're diversifying a lot more into more tropical summer fruits. But we receive fruit most days of the week, and we start our production process pretty early in the morning. You know, that usually involves washing the fruit, cutting it, steaming it. And freezing it and packaging it and so that's a pretty much full-time job right there
0: now there are a number of varieties of ulu is there one that maybe makes better flour or do you mix them all up how does that work
5: we're really still learning the the flower process so we don't have an answer to that yet we're doing experimentation and taking good records so that we can learn that information on the steamed and frozen side the different varieties have pretty different sort of culinary properties in terms of their texture their size for sure, their taste a little bit. So we do a sort of a sorting process in-house before we process, and that will determine what product gets made out of which fruit. So we accept all varieties. I don't really like to say we have a strong preference because they're all great for different applications. We do prefer the larger, firmer seedless varieties simply because yield is higher, but we will buy anything. We'll buy any variety of ulu. Our focus really is Hawaii, you know, Hawaii imports virtually a hundred percent of its staple foods. So in other food groups like fruits, vegetables, even proteins, we have moved the needle in terms of increasing local production, but in the staple food category, which is, you know, grains and starches, we have not moved the needle. We produce less than one percent of our own staples. And those are the carbohydrates that make up about 50% of the calories we need to survive. So. We're in a very precarious situation, and Ulu has tremendous potential to help make Hawaii more food-secure and self-sufficient. So our focus really is on Hawaii. We work really hard to promote the crop, you know, do educational marketing to all consumer groups, especially youth. That's been a really big focus of ours in partnership with the Department of Education and the Hawaii Farm to School Hui. So until we really have to go out of state and export, meaning if demand here does not grow as fast as our supply, until that happens, we're actually not really looking at markets out of state. If you've got more people planting
0: ulu in their yards because they know it's a crop they can count on if the ship doesn't come in, you know, during these COVID times, everybody's talking about we need to diversify, we need to support local ag.
5: We see our role as complementing that. So if everyone has an ulu tree and is getting their fresh ulu in season, that's fantastic. And we can be the source out of season or for further value-added ulu products.
0: Oh, yeah. Talk about the products because, I mean, I've seen all kinds of really cool things uh, at the grocery store, you know, the dips, all kinds of things out there. People are getting really creative.
5: Yeah. I mean, ulu is so versatile. It's truly one of the most versatile crops that I know of. Here locally, we have a number of Ulu hummus products from different manufacturers, as well as Ulu chips, which of course go together very well. And then out of the ripe fruit, there's Ulu desserts. We make an Ulu chocolate mousse that's sold frozen. And John Cadman of Maui Breadfruit Company makes pono pies, which are delicious. And he has lots of different flavors. In Kanyohe, there's an amazing ulu noodle restaurant, um, Adela's Country Eatery, and they use our frozen product to make their noodles. The list really goes on and on, not to mention all of the chefs who are making amazing ulu products. And the chef Hui recently partnered with us on an ulu ambassador program. So we have about a dozen ulu ambassador chefs that are really working to spotlight innovative and traditional uses of ulu in the kitchen.
0: That was Dana Shapiro, one of the many Ulu ambassadors, out to spread the word about Ulu power. It's a promising crop as we look to diversify the economy and support our local farmers. The Ulu Cooperative, along with the Hawaii Farmers Union Foundation and Voyaging Foods, has launched its initiative to promote uh, replacing 30% of flour use with local starches by the year 2030. For links and to take that survey Dana talked about, um, head to our website at hawaiipublicradio.org. And we are out of time. Tomorrow, we end the week with a look at ulu vodka. Could it become the tequila of the Pacific? Give us some feedback. We hope you learned something about ulu. Got some questions about something you heard on our air? Call our talk back line email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also connect with Facebook and with Twitter. I'm Katherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.